This program was first broadcast on Canterbury's access media station, Plains FM, and was made with the assistance of New Zealand On Air. Welcome to the Alcoholics Anonymous radio show here on Plains FM 96.9. My name is Louise and I'm an alcoholic. The purpose of this show is to increase public awareness of Alcoholics Anonymous as an effective means of recovery from the disease of alcoholism. Our show has two parts. First, we'll talk a bit about alcoholism, what it is and what AA can do to help. Then we'll interview a recovering alcoholic who is an active member of AA. I'm now going to ask our guests to read the AA preamble, which is read at the start of every AA meeting. Thanks, Louise. Alcoholics Anonymous is a fellowship of men and women who share their experience, strength and hope with each other that they may solve their common problem and help others to recover from alcoholism. The only requirement for membership is a desire to stop drinking. There are no dues or fees for AA membership, We are self-supporting through our own contributions. AA is not allied with any sect, denomination, politics, organisation or institution, does not wish to engage in any controversy, neither endorses nor opposes any causes. Our primary purpose is to stay sober and help other alcoholics to achieve sobriety. So what is alcoholism? Alcoholism is a disease, not a disgrace. There's no shame in having an illness or a disease. An unusual feature of this disease is that it will do whatever it can to convince you that you do not have it. However, once it has a hold of you, the progression of symptoms is like the classic disease model and the victim is as helpless as a sufferer of cancer. If you are an alcoholic, you're at the beginning of a long road that usually ends in one of three places – prisons, institutions or death. If you think this sounds dramatic, we can assure you that our collective experience has shown this to be true. The challenge is to convince the alcoholic to admit that they need help and become willing to seek it. Denial is a major symptom of alcoholism. The alcoholic is often the last one to recognise it and admit that they have it. Our definition of alcoholism is it is an allergy of the body coupled with an obsession of the mind. The allergy is the physical aspect of the disease. After having the first drink, the phenomenon of craving develops and we lose control over when we will stop drinking. The old saying is, one is too many and a thousand is never enough. And yet, because of the obsession of the mind, the mental aspect of the disease, the alcoholic is compelled to keep picking up the first drink. And this is what makes us powerless. We often hear from sober alcoholics that many doubted whether life could be fun without alcohol. Fortunately, those same people report that their lives have improved dramatically since they became sober. The 12-step program of recovery, which is discussed at meetings and which is outlined in the Alcoholics Anonymous Big Book, is how we get sober and maintain our sobriety one day at a time. This program has a proven track record of helping otherwise hopeless alcoholics to achieve long-term sobriety and recovery. It has taught us how to enjoy life sober. 
Okay, for anyone who's just joined us, you're listening to the Alcoholics Anonymous radio show here on Plains FM 96.9. We're just about to interview an AA member who's going to share their experience with alcoholism. So let's meet our guest. Welcome to the show. Would you like to introduce yourself? Yes, my, thanks Louise. My name's Jean. Um, I am 43 years old uh, and live here in Christchurch. Wonderful. I've been sober for six months. Oh, six months. What a brilliant milestone. Well, welcome to the show. And um, so so tell us a little bit more about yourself, your family, children. Yes, I have a daughter. She's yes. here today in, in the waiting room waiting for me. So she's eight, eight and a half. Yep, what a lovely um, age. Yes, so... Just the one child. Yep. Her dad and I split up when she was two and a half. Right. So um, I'm, uh, yeah, I've been on my own basically since then with mm. 50 50 care up until recently. Right. Um, right. Where I lost um, custody of that 50% I had mm-hmm. um, due to drinking essentially. Right. Okay. So. So let's let's um, let's delve into that a little bit shortly. So um, we uh, tell us about what it was like for you growing up and in your childhood. Like well, I never thought there was anything wrong with my childhood. I grew up in rural New Zealand mm-hmm. and had the quintessential Kiwi <laughs> upbringing. I guess mm-hmm. a little uh, rural primary school. We were quite isolated. I guess. Where we um, where we lived in the North Island, my dad was a, a farmer. Had, had his when I was born, a very first farm. So he worked very hard, mm-hmm. and my sister and I and my mum worked very hard on the farm mm. too. But she was um, well, funnily enough, brought up rurally herself and was sent to boarding school, but was not. You know, she wanted to pursue her career at the time as a as a journalist. Oh um, wow! And she met someone, um, her editor, I think, <laughs> and they're still together to this day. But she moved to Auckland when I was eight. Right. So my sister and I stayed with my dad on the farm. Right. Um, and we had holidays with mum. Yep. So we thought things were great after the split because things had stopped. There was no fighting anymore, mm. so things had improved. And as a seven and eight year old, we thought things were were pretty good because of that. But it did affect us. Mm. And now that um, I have a bit more wisdom and a clear clearer head, yeah, um, and have been, I guess, exploring more about why perhaps I turned to um, heavy mm, drinking mm. to cope. Um, I have explored a lot more about that upbringing mm, and mm. probably that sense of abandonment mm-hmm. that happened when I was quite young. Yeah, absolutely. A lot for a, a, certainly a seven or eight-year-old to, to go through in, in hindsight. And, and <laughs> um, So thank you for sharing that with us, Jean. Um as you grew up and sort of into your teens um, and then ultimately into early adulthood, what was your first experience with drinking? Yes, I remember it vividly, well, the start of the night. So I was 13, I think. Um, <laughs> don't think I was 14 yet. And I had organised with two of my friends. We mm-hmm. had a uh, community fireworks mm-hmm. display at somebody's uh, friend's house and most of the small community we lived in at the time had gone there to celebrate Guy Fawkes and um, 
I'd organise with my two friends to bring some of our parents' <laughs> alcohol in drink bottles. So I filled up a drink bottle and I knew very little about alcohol at that point. Neither of my parents were heavy drinkers, mm. but they were um, consistent drinkers. My dad sure. was the sort of bloke like many blokes are and have been, um, get home from work. Mm-hmm. We lived on a farm. Even as before we were walking, we heard the motorbike pull up and even before we were walking, we were going to the cupboard or the fridge where the beer was to get one ready for Dad when he walked in the door. So he'd do that every night. We'd get a little tiny, you know, half an inch in a a cup ourselves as toddlers probably. (laughs) And my four siblings (laughs) after me were exactly the same. Mm. Um, So we we grew up with a little bit of beer in our lives every Mm. day. Mm. And mum... I don't remember her drinking when I was small, but she is and has been a, a habitual daily mm-hmm. drinker. Um, and farm, my dad no longer drinks because he has a heart problem. But right. Anyway, so that first um, experience, we took our drink bottles along to the Guy Fawkes party, and I poured every spirit. And <laughs> God knows, some of the, my parents didn't drink spirits; they just amassed them from presents and. Mm-hmm. Christmas gifts or whatever, and I'd poured a whole mixture of stuff in there. And when we got down there, I just um, sculled basically the whole drink bottle. I don't know, it was probably a litre or more wow. of that. And I made it across the paddock where there was a small <laughs> creek that you had to oh. walk through to get to the house. And somebody's mum found me in the creek. So... I was fine, hope probably face up, hopefully. Um, mm. There wasn't much water, I don't believe, in there, but um, I was taken home and probably hosed down in the shower mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and then Dad got me up at 5am to milk the cows. Right, okay, so that was your first experience. Yeah. Quite memorable. <laughs> and so as you progressed into early adulthood or late teens, what was your drinking like? I um, call myself a, a sort of... I was into low-level naughtiness, I call it, <laughs> I at love it. high school. So nothing really serious. But when um, I did get into um, – I had a couple of friends from Wellington when I was at boarding school, and we we did play up a bit. But mm-hmm. it was sort of, you know, sneaking over to the boys' side mm-hmm. and that sort of thing. But occasionally we did experiment with mm. alcohol. And right from that first time with alcohol mm-hmm. when I was 13 – and right up until recently, it, I was when I did drink, it was never just one. No, it was I had to drink till I was drunk mm-hmm. or, or passed out. Sure. Basically, in fact, I didn't often pass out, but got to that point where I couldn't remember the rest of the night. Okay, so that drinking started very much from early adulthood, and and continued. And so so let's talk about then what were some of the consequences um, as you were growing up and becoming an adult, you know, and, and you, know, um, th- th- you know, jobs, relationships, did it have any impact on those things? Um, really not till I was in my 30s. Mm-hmm. So I, can, I drank like, unfortunately, many Kiwis mm, do, was mm. a binge drinker on weekends. Mm-hmm. And I didn't drink weekdays or on my mm. own even until I was in my 30s. Mm. But when I did drink, I drank <laughs> a lot. Um, I drank to, drank to get drunk. Mm. 
and it wasn't till um, I didn't have problems with jobs. I put myself through uni. I travelled for four and a half years. But when I think back to being twenty twenty one and living in the UK um, for a couple of years, it was Wednesday to Sunday drinking. Right. And it was considered quite normal. Sure. I, I would have been at the upper end of normal mm, with mm. my drinking then. Um, and I also suffered from FOMO bad. <laughs> sure, so, sure. Had to be a part of. I wanted to miss out on a party or a night at the pub or anything mm, like that. So, mm. um, But it was in my 30s that I had moved from Auckland mm-hmm. um, to be with my daughter's father. Mm-hmm. We did a long distance thing for about 18 months and um, um, I've been down here 15 odd years mm-hmm. now and I was really lonely. We moved mm. to a rural property. Um, he was a keen hunter. Mm-hmm. He, in fact, we were both addicted, me to mm. eventually alcohol, him to his hunting and we were like ships in the night. Mm. I had a on-the-road travelling job and... I'd come home to an empty house in rural Canterbury where I had no friends and the drinking started, um, that was when I started drinking on my own. Sure. And then weeknights and then it was every day. Yeah, mm. and so it definitely changed. Yeah, and so um, so let's talk about I guess some of the consequences. And, and you, you know, you mentioned briefly, um, you know, about um, a loss of relationships, and then you know, and and then custody of your daughter. So talk to us more about you know how that's affected, how drinking has affected your life in that way. Yeah, I. Um uh, like many alcoholics, I guess I was quite selfish and quite, it was, um, everything was done to me and I mm. <laughs> thought I was acknowledging my part in things, but I really wasn't. And even very recently, since this is my second stint at sobriety, mm-hmm. I had, um, six years ago, I stopped drinking for about nine months. Yep. Um, so I can talk about the differences between then and now. But um, I um, definitely recognise the role drinking played in the breakdown of my relationship with my daughter's father um, and and with a, a relationship subsequent to that, mm. so the breakdown of that. Mm. And in every other way, I kept... Um, I guess I'm what you would call a functioning alcoholic. I kept my job... I didn't take sick days. I probably wasn't feeling great. In fact, mm-hmm. I wasn't feeling great every day. Um, but you learn to live with it, I suppose. Mm. And that became my new normal. Mm. Um, and I kept everything else around me going, except for probably those close, close relationships. Mm. And so I guess what we describe in AA is our rock bottom and what brought us into recovery. What was that like for you? It was the the end of my relationship with my daughter's father and subsequently losing custody mm-hmm. once before. So the last year we were together, um, at the very start of that year, um, I lost we lost a child at 20 weeks. Mm-hmm. That was tough. Same day we learned about her 
diagnosis, a chromosomal disorder that was not conducive with life. Um, we, I found out about a, an affair mm. he'd been having with someone, well, his best mate's partner, and it had been long term too. So all, had I was grieving two things. Mm. The loss of a child and and the loss of my relationship, but trying to also hold it together. I thought mm. I needed to. We could perhaps work this out, you know. And we stayed together till the end of that year when it just became blatantly obvious it wasn't going to get better. Yeah, and it probably wasn't that healthy before the, those two events either. And that's when my drinking really took off. Yeah. Um, that whole year and I guess I was pretty unbearable to live with to be honest and I was hiding alcohol everywhere in the house, my car, um, I was drinking on the way home from work to pick up my daughter from preschool, yep. um, I was yeah, and hiding it from everyone. Yep. Um, and it was years later, I was still finding empty bottles in various <laughs> part, compartments in my car or elsewhere. But um, he left me quite suddenly the end of that year. Um, and it was in the new year, I actually had a suicide attempt. Mm-hmm. And, um, and then I lost custody of Ruby then and had to fight through the family court for about a year or so. And I decided to stop, well, I needed to stop drinking. Mm-hmm. But that's what everyone told me I needed to do. And so how did you, what steps did you take? Like, how did you find your way to your first AA meeting? First AA meeting was in Thorpe House. Okay. So towards the end of that year, just before we, I my relationship ended, I went to Thorpe House. So that year I had been seeing a drug and alcohol counsellor. Okay. So you'd taken yourself to a counsellor yeah. and gone into a treatment facility? Yes. Right. Yeah. So at her advice, try this, mm-hmm. Thorpe House. And it was great when in there, but the minute I got out, I started drinking again. Right. Um, and I had my first AA um, meeting in Thorpe House, right? And um, the uh, lady that took it was forty-something um, years <laughs> sober, and she advocated for ninety meetings, ninety days. Wow! And it, to be honest, I thought at the time, how on earth this is crazy, I can't do this, I have a child, mm-hmm. I have a job, how can I, and I just, yeah, couldn't work it out in my head. That was my first meeting. Right. And I didn't think I'd go to any others, but I did mm-hmm. in the new year. I started, um, at we're, which is still my home group, mm-hmm. this is six years ago now, and um, I loved it. But I only went once a week. Mm-hmm. And maybe that lady was right. Mm. I should have done those 90 meetings, 90 <laughs> days and really thrown myself yep. into living and breathing sobriety. But I was at that point in time mm. ticking a box to yep. get my daughter back. Sure. So you've got six months sober now. How have you managed to do it for the last six months and what is different? The key difference is that I'm now doing this for me. And I'm not doing it because everyone else thinks that I should be doing it. Right. Um, and the courts, you know, my family, even for my daughter, 
number one has to be about me mm-hmm. for this to to be something that stays, you know, for my ongoing sobriety, it has to be about me. So yeah. that was the big difference this time. And I lost my daughter in December <clears throat> last year, and it was 1st of June I had my last drink. Yeah. So I spent six months... A, sometimes telling myself, I'd, I won't be able to do this. I failed last time. What's the point? Mm-hmm. You know, the, the whole alcoholic, active alcoholism, mind playing tricks on me. And then I took myself to counsellors, you know, easier, softer ways. Yep. Um, and thought something in my head will just click. Sure. If I start reading material, <laughs> kind of going to counsellors, and something in my mind will change to, I really want this and I'll be able to do it. And that never happened. Right. So I just had to take the action mm-hmm. and book myself back into Thorpe House. And thankfully, um, taking the action, everything else has followed wow. since. And and so there's a couple of things there I want to touch on about um, the program that we talk about in recovery and in AA. That it's a spiritual program, not a religious program. What does that look like for you? I've always believed in something bigger than myself, mm-hmm. but I couldn't describe it. It's mm. more of a a feeling, mm-hmm. um, and for me. Being part of the AA fellowship is is my higher power at the moment. The that strength I get and enlightenment, enlightenment being sort of coming out of a meeting with my fellows in AA, you feel lighter. Mm. Um, I can breathe mm. for an hour. Um, I'm around a whole lot of people like me. And that's my higher power. And I know when I'm doing the work that um, that whole that feeling I get is that a feeling I think mm, that mm. I get in myself that there's something bigger than me at play here. Yeah, absolutely. And and things like sponsorship. So having a sponsor that's been important to you. Yes, like, uh, when I was sober. Six years ago for nine months, I never sought mm. a, a, a sponsor. I didn't know where to start really um, with with getting one and mm-hmm. what, how did that work. <laughs> and this time I was certain that I needed to yep. get a sponsor and uh, it took me a couple of months to build up the courage yep. to get one. Yeah. I was. I just didn't know how mm. and how you went about it and what you were supposed to do with one. <laughs> and it was another member in our group that suggested. Um, well, actually, she she was part of the same home group that I was part of six five five and a half six years ago. And she has got a lot going on and other sponsees sponsors. What is she's sponsoring people. Mm-hmm. And she suggested um, my sponsor, who I have now, mm-hmm. and I had a, had a feeling that this person, I already thought, had thought, if anyone mm. in this room, I think 
I would gel with mm-hmm. would be this person, and that's who she suggested, yeah. and it was that's who my sponsor is, and it's it has been amazing. Yeah. You know, I have been very well, I wouldn't call it luck because I have been working very very hard, but um, I it's been easier than I ever possibly thought mm. it would be once I took that first step. Yeah, and I think the key thing there is we don't have to do it alone. We can't do it alone. Mm. And I think, um, you know, having the, the guidance of a sponsor and the fellowship, the group, and, and you know, you mentioned being able to breathe, mm. the peace and serenity. Yeah. yeah. Jean, what would you recommend that someone could ask themselves if they think they might have a drinking problem? Can you just have one mm. and leave it there? Mm. No, I couldn't. And that's why I know I'm an alcoholic. And mm. I didn't believe I was an alcoholic for many years, mm. even nine months in AA. I didn't properly believe it. But now I, I do. It's as simple as I can't stop after one or two. That's it. All bets are off. Mm. Well, Jean, thank you so much for coming on the show and sharing your story with us. Thanks, Louise. For our listeners, if you've related to anything that you've heard or would like some more information about Alcoholics Anonymous, you can look us up on the web at www.aa.org.nz or call us on 0800 AA Works. There are over 60 meetings a week in Canterbury, so it's likely there's one near you. Join us next week to hear from more AA members sharing their experiences. Our show airs every Monday at 5.30pm on Plains FM and repeats again on Wednesday at 12.30pm. You can also find podcasts of our past shows on the Plains FM website at plainsfm.org.nz or you can download, subscribe and listen to podcasts on iTunes and Spotify. That brings us to the end of the show. Thank you for listening and remember, if you want to drink, that's your business. But if you want to stop, we can help. You don't have to do it alone. We will now close the show with the serenity prayer as we do in every AA meeting. God, grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, courage to change the things I can, and wisdom to know the difference. You have been listening to the Alcoholics Anonymous radio show on Plains FM 96.9.